impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Modern Man Podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have this time, and we promise not to take it for granted. And we hope that you enjoy the podcast. And if you love it, share it with a friend, because that's the best compliment you can give us. And make sure you leave a rating behind to let us know how we're doing, and hit that subscribe button for a new episode every week. That's important because we're on a mission of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. We do that by embracing discomfort, of course, cultivating community, and putting wind in each other's sails. And I'm excited to get some wind in our sails today from our amazing guest, professional speaker, peak performance coach, advocate for learning disabilities. It's my pleasure to introduce Christopher Bedeon, coming out of Canada. Christopher, how you doing? Let's go, Ted. I love the intro. <laughs> I am blessed to be on the show with you. Uh, you were recently on my show and we just had a blast. So I know this is going to be a great conversation. Hopefully we're going to bring some great value for your audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. It was a pleasure to be on yours. And I encourage folks to check out that Friday flow. If they haven't, I'll probably have that in the show notes uh, for, for as a link. But I, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to uh, introduce yourself to the audience. I love hearing the guests kind of speak of themselves really quick because I get to find out what you value. Because I could say all the titles, but that doesn't give credence into who you are as a person. So, Christopher, please, the floor is yours. Man, Ted, I truly appreciate that. So like you mentioned, I'm a professional speaker and a peak performance coach. Essentially, everything I do towards the forming pillars that I have within my business that and enterprises is towards helping people to get them from where they are to where they want to be. And I specialize with top tier individuals. These are entrepreneurs that are already succeeding, are trying to go to that next level. Maybe they've hit a little plateau, they're trying to tweak it. And this is not only in their person in their business life, but in their personal life as well. Because I truly believe if you take care of the individual, the person, then you'll be succeeding even more in the business and so on. So it is a full individual approach at that enterprise that we do. And we do it, like you said, via our uh, speaking uh, on stages, our executive one-on-one -on -one coaching, our group coaching, or even our marketing agency with our podcast agency, uh, data and podcast agency, essentially. Yeah. And it sounds like you got a lot going on and very busy. And the thing is, it's so easy to see kind of like the final product and the amazing yeah. companies, the amazing life that you've been able to build. But these these successes don't come without their challenges. And I know you at an early age, kind of getting the challenge of dyslexia at, at age eight. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about what that experience was like at a young age and what it's taught you that you still have held on to as a lesson to this day. Okay, so I love the way you're kind of approaching that. And I'm kind of explain it in regards to how I saw it when I was going through it towards how I see it now and how I utilize it within a valued entrepreneur and so on. So a bit like you mentioned, at eight years old, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. So for people who don't know what dyslexia is, it's a learning disability that has to do with reading and writing. So my parents noticed that there was something wrong. They got me tested, got diagnosed. So then during the middle of the school year, they came and they told me, that they're going to take me out of the school that I was in right now. And they're going to put me in a specialized school. Hmm. Now, eight years old, all I hear is that I'm losing my friends and I'm going to a special school. I'm like, I don't want any of that. I didn't even understand what dyslexia was at that point. I was, didn't know it. I was a bit too young. I realized that I had difficulties in school. I was having a hard time keeping up with my peers. Finally, going to that school, which is called Vanguard, which is in the, the greater region of Montreal. Like you mentioned, I'm from Canada. Uh, so a couple hours north of uh, New York City. 
Uh, when I mean couple, I mean actually seven hours by car, six and a half. I've done so, the drive. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good drive though. I do it quite often. It's a fun drive. Uh, so yeah, so once I got into the school, the first thing I realized, Ted, is that I wasn't alone. There was hundreds of kids like me that had learning disabilities. Mm. So then I started realizing, okay, cool, wait a minute. If there's other kids, maybe I could figure this out. And then when I was in this school, I had the specialized teacher, the speech therapist around me that gave me the proper tools, methodologies, and techniques that I needed to learn to find out how I learned. Then as I went through the process of going in through the elementary school and the high school in this structure, I realized that learning is just, or success in a certain sense, is just a different form of learning or any difficulty is a different form of learning. Mm -hmm. The way I learn might be different from somebody else. If somebody says you have to learn this, that, and the other, you have to just figure out how you learn. How do you consume information? So then through that school, I figured out how I consume information. As I went on, I started succeeding actually quite well in this school. And like everybody at the end of the high school, you start deciding what's next, right? What college are you going to go into? What program are you going to go into? So what do you want to do as a career? So Ted, first thing that came to mind for me is I want to be a lawyer because I like wearing nice suits. I like talking, obviously. I could go on rants. Mm-hmm. But then I realized 85% of the job of being a lawyer, if not more than that, is reading and writing. So I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so then I'm like, well, let me find a career that has a very little reading and writing or almost none. So what I found was fireman. I'm like, oh yeah, the fire truck, the adrenaline, the boys. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. So I went into that, went into the academy, graduated from the school, started working at Pride Whitney Canada, which is a company that does airplane motors. I was becoming an industrial fireman there. And Ted, I realized that, that wasn't my purpose. Like mm. the universe put me on the planet for something else. I realized that I was meant to be an entrepreneur. And when the teacher used to come into the classroom when I was young and she'd say, kid, put yourself on teams. That th Even before she finished a word three, I had my head up and I was looking who writes the best, who reads the best. Let me put a team together. And let me delegate to work and we get the grade together. Delegation yeah. 101, right? I got this. Yeah. <laughs> I got this. And then when I was in college, I was failing. I remember I used to go to the teacher after class and I used to negotiate my grade up. I'm like, oh no, sir, that's not what I meant. This is what I meant in this, in this point over here, just to negotiate my grade up. So negotiation one-on-one because of the education system that I was giving, I had no choice to develop these skills of communication, of negotiation, of collaboration to succeed in this education system. So then at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm meant to be an entrepreneur. So I decided to be a real estate broker, going to brokerage. <laughs> Started going into that. And as you know, you're kind of smiling. Anybody that starts a career in entrepreneurship, the first year and a half to two years pending, it is very difficult. Like I literally paid to be a broker. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, after a lot of, lot of work and consistent calls prospecting, it really popped off for me. I was in my early 20s and I'm doing air quotes here for the people that are listening. I was successful in what society said success is. The car, the suits, the, the, the house, the whole nine. And then one day, one of the speech therapists that used to follow me in high school gave me a call to tell me, uh, uh, to ask me a question about a real estate property. After a few minutes, she's like, Chris, she's like, how's it going with you? And once again, as you guys are noticing, I could definitely go on rants mm -hmm. and I'm almost finished my story over here, uh, Ted. I'm like, it's going great. Once again, I'm like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I was just extremely happy. And she's like, I'm the keynote speaker at this event put together by Learning Disability Institute of Quebec. I would love for you to come and tell us how you are a successful dyslexic entrepreneur. I'm like, absolutely. That same evening, Ted, she writes me an email and the subject letter says, Chris, I do not think you should do this speech because there's still a lot of people that have a negative misconception of what dyslexia is. Now, I knew she was coming from a place of love. Mm -hmm. I called her the next day and I'm like, listen, uh, Bridget, if I don't do this speech, I'm not helping the kids that are on the school benches. I'm not helping the next generation. And I'm not helping my future because this is something hereditary. I'm not fake. I have to do this speech. 
And I'm like, if there's any client that doesn't want to work with me because I'm dyslexic, those aren't clients that I want to work with. She's like, oh my God, yes, I understand. 100%, I agree. I'm like, how many people are going to be at this event? She's like, oh, about 200. Now, granted, Ted, at this point, I've never been on stage, didn't even think about it, didn't even know about the speaking career, to be quite honest. I walk into the room the day of the event. I open the door. I look left and right. And Ted, there isn't 200 people. It's more like 1,000 people. Now my heart is being through my chest. I am sweating bullets. I'm like, what the F did I get myself into here? Professor after professor is going on stage. I'm like, yo, what am I doing here? I'm just a little broker. And then the moment comes, they're like, Chris, please come on stage. And the best way I could explain it, it was like this divine moment that the universe was preparing me for that exact moment. After I got off of stage and I got such a positive feedback, people were lining up to meet me and so on. I knew that's what I had to do for the rest of my life. Mm. So now why am I telling you this? Because you asked the question of how I saw my dyslexia. For so long, when I was young, I didn't know what my dyslexia was. Then I got comfortable with it. When I became a fireman, I was actually embarrassed about it because it's a very difficult career to get into. <clears throat> so I didn't want to tell my peers that I was dyslexic. Then coming to a point that I am an entrepreneur and succeeding quite well and having this opportunity, I actually fought to go on stage and talk about my dyslexia to help the kids. So that was the transition of me understanding my dyslexia. And this was a 25 year aspect or 27 year from my uh, eight years old to being on stage in 2017. And now I could very confidently say the main reason why I succeed is because I'm dyslexic and I learned to be relentless because at such a young age, I failed so much that every single time a failure comes to me as an entrepreneur, because it does come to you consistently and frequently, all I do is I just brush it off, learn from it, and keep moving forward. And then I see other people that never had those challenges when they were young. The first time life shows them their first challenge, they stop, they quit, and they take an easier path. So yeah. that's why I succeed in my regards due to that correlation with my dyslexia. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you see a lot of successful people nowadays talk about a a hard and checkered past and they they credit that hard past, that rough upbringing or really the challenges that they had at a young age to their success. And man, I, I love that full arc. It's almost like that hero's arc, right, of of, of like let's say dyslexia is super speed and you find out that you have super speed. So you can't be in school anymore with the normal runners. So you have to go with the other superheroes and with the superheroes, you graduate and then you end up maybe finding your hidden identity as a firefighter. But then you're like, man, I, I need to run. I need to express the speed somehow. And then you, you start finding success. And then somebody who knows about your speed wants you to express to others. That's the full hero arc. And when you present it to others, you get that, that that accreditation right you get that validation of the hero of what you what you did was heroic standing on stage look saying look at my scars and that was not able to beat me down and what i love what you touched on with the haggling and with the operating in school is as kids we are so durable and adaptable as kids like you see kids and it amazes me when it's 30 degrees out and they want to go swimming and they're shivering and it's like aren't you cold and like no <laughs> but they've they've literally convinced themselves that they're not cold but that's how strong a child's mind is and somewhere along the line we lose that ability right we lose that 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 innocence but we also lose that cognitive strength to imagine to adapt to be relentless and to go for that goal no matter what and i think of the dreams that a lot of young guys had 
who are watching this or listening to this growing up saying, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be this. I want to be that. But then what happens? We grow up, be realistic, be realistic. How was it for you when you got to the point of, okay, you're saying being a firefighter, this not, this might not be it. I want to start this, this real estate brokerage company. And you mentioned the first two and a half years, taking L's, taking losses, the entrepreneurs that are listening, they know what that's like. And a lot of the, a lot of the feedback from the people around them, sometimes even the people closest to them say, be realistic, be realistic. How important was it to you have for you to have that, that adaptability, that childlike mindset in the thick of those challenges that you had early on with your uh, real estate brokerage company? Okay. Great question. I just want to take a step back and just say amazing analogy that you just gave with the speed and the superstar or like <laughs> that, that superhero in regards to dyslexia, very interesting way that you drew it up. And actually, uh, the very famous doctor about ADHD talks about having a normal chassis car. Imagine like a Honda Civic with Honda Civic brakes, but you have a Ferrari motor in it. That's what mm-hmm. AGHD is. And all they have to do is teach these kids how to put the proper brakes and control the car, but you have a super engine in it. So it's funny that you alluded to that. I, that I was <laughs> thinking about that in that regards and have ADHD as well, obviously, because usually uh, learning disabilities don't come with one thing. They come with many packages. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I wanted to allude to. Now, in regards to your question, when it comes to the aspect of how did I kind of go towards that arc or really was able to see once I left brokerage, the naysayers and so on. And that analogy you gave with the kids, I think it's so spot on. Cause if you think about it, anybody has a kid, once they start walking, they fall down nonstop, they fall down nonstop. And it's never a question of like, Oh, my kid's never going to walk. No, at a certain point, they're just going to stop falling down. They're going to walk. But as we get older, society tells us things kind of like you alluded to Ted. And then we start believing that we can't do it. But anything you do, you're going to fall down, fall down, fall down, and just get up, get up, get up. And if you do it long enough, you will succeed at it. Now, a lot of people don't have that understanding because society tells them certain things because they're potentially, uh, you know, born somewhere because they're a girl, guy, ethnic, whatever, whatever you want to say. And if they start believing those limiting beliefs, it will become their reality. So all this comes down to your limiting beliefs. Now, in regards to me, when I switch, how did I deal with it? The second that I left brokerage, I was leaving brokerage, Ted, everybody thought I was crazy. Literally everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> like the director of my agency is like, Chris, you're one of the youngest up and coming brokers. What are you doing? Like, can you even make a career as a, as a speaker? I didn't know what to answer him. All I knew is that I felt something and I'm very like driven with feeling. And if I know that my gut's telling me to do something, even though I'm afraid of it, I go towards it. And this is very important to understand the difference between fear and danger, Ted, is because a lot of people mix up both of those, but it's two significantly different things. Fear is you going out of your comfort zone. Fear is pushing you towards your greatness. Danger is you're actually going to get hurt. So if I'm telling you, hey, you have to get out of your comfort zone, like, oh, wow, okay, Chris told me that, let's go. I'm going to go on top of a building and jump off because I'm afraid. Nah, bro, let's be smart. That's being stupid. You're going to die. Fear is I'm going to start that business. Fear is I'm going to go talk to that girl that's or that guy that's in the other side of the the bar. Fear is I'm going to invest in this program. Fear is I'm going to invest in myself. That's what fear is. And usually we repress it, calling it out of practicality. Oh, I got bills to pay. Oh, I got a family. I got X, Y, and Z. So once you disassociate those two things, for me, when fear comes in my life, I'm like, yo, the universe is pushing me towards something. Let's go. If I'm not afraid of doing something, I'm like, I'm not pushing myself enough. 
So that's the way I kind of approach it. And I have learned through my dyslexia that that's the way to go towards anything that you want to succeed in. Yeah. Last thing I did that scared the crap out of me. Um, and, and it's funny because um, I was a kid in high school that was terrified of reading out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would, and maybe you, you know, this, this hack, I would, whenever we're like reading out loud, I would count the paragraphs and I'd find my paragraph. I would pre-read it, <laughs> memorize it. And then of course the kid in front of me would be an overachiever, read two paragraphs and I'd have to stumble through the whole thing anyway. <laughs> but it terrified me. Reading out loud terrified me. And, and I, I think I've told this before on the podcast. Um, so when I was a meteorologist six years ago, um, and I was pulled into my news director's office and the morning anchor was leaving and they said, we want you to be our morning anchor. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to read prompter out loud in front of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands on live TV for four hours a day. And I remember telling, I told my news director, I told my boss, I said, this offer scares the crap out of me. So I need to do it. And I did it. First six months was rough, terrible, scary. I thought I ruined my career. I'm a meteorologist now. I, I lean more in weather than I do for anchoring, but I anchored for six years. And the result of that is for those that are watching YouTube is the Emmy over my right shoulder mm-hmm. as an anchor. So now that I'm back in, in weather and I could do both, I could look back in hindsight and say, okay, that fear that I didn't listen to resulted in the growth of my ability here as a meteorologist five, six years in the future. How has your fear or your leaning into that fear helped you in the transition from when you left that real estate brokerage company and everyone thought you were crazy to now building your career as, as a coach, as a speaker and podcast agency, all these other things that came following. How has fear been that that compass for you? And how did those things kind of manifest themselves over time? So that fear is my compass, it's my North Star. Every single time I'm doing something, I'm afraid. I'm like, all right, cool. That means I don't have the skills that I need right now or the abilities that I need right now to succeed at it. But it means that that's gonna, I'm going to get those. Anytime I do something and I'm not afraid, I'm like, all right, cool. This is like my bread and butter. But if you do that for so long, then you're staying complacent. And if you're staying complacent, you're actually in atrophy. I'd rather be in growth. I don't want to be in atrophy. So even though we're doing the same thing and I'm succeeding quite well, I could be doing the same thing over and over again. I could do the same exact speech because there's a lot of speakers that do the same speech in and out and they know one speech and they sell over and over again, but that's not growth. So it's, you always challenge yourself. So for me, it's a beaking of like, that's where I have to go towards. And the way I look at it, if I'm not afraid, really afraid, a minimum of three times in my year, I'm doing something wrong. And usually that is I'm starting a new subdivision of venture within my business. I'm hiring like crazy. I'm investing in the business and that's scary. Like I literally just started with somebody new last week and that's scary because hey, I have to support somebody else's family and that's a blessing. But at the same time, that just means we have to level it up even more, but we need that. And then if I look at the other aspect, how am I pushing myself emotionally, physically, mentally? And if there, I'm not doing things that, challenge me in that regards, I know that I'm following the status quo and that's not good. So those are the ways that I kind of look at it in a very distinctive way. Now, granted, I did say you have to be aware of the danger. 
I'm not going to go invest and hire somebody that's going to cost me a million dollars per year because my company's income wouldn't commit to that right now. Even though we would have that, it wouldn't make sense. You'd just be logical. Okay, why am I going to burn myself? Let's go with this. So you have to look at it logically, but at the same time, understand that whatever you do, there's going to be fear. And if there's that fear, you're towards the right direction. So that's the way I kind of guide myself towards pushing myself towards being on bigger stages, bigger opportunities and beyond. Yeah. Now, as these, as the, as the plate grows and there's, there's more and more to eat. Um, one thing we say a lot on this podcast is increased capacity, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I truly believe is uh, us as men, if we increase our capacity for life, if we increase our capacity for the world, we're more likely to show up when things get hard, mm-hmm. right? When things get overwhelming and being that peak performance coaching is, is something that you're, you do and, and you, you lead by example, right? You, 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 you walk the walk and talk the talk, but walking that walk, how have you increased your capacity as your plate's gotten fuller or as you take on the, the blessing and the burden of a new employee, right? Yeah. It's great. But like you said, now their livelihood is going to be based off of my decisions. So there is yeah. a burden to that. How do you complete, how do you continue to co- increase your capacity? Okay. I love that. So here's the thing. First and foremost, it's going to be a bit cliche, but this is exactly the way you go about it. It's not sexy. It's really what it is, is it's a process to get to these points. Now we're talking about at a certain level that my business is at, I have four main pillars. I have colleagues, employees, uh, partners within all these divisions. But before getting there, what I did is I raised my standard. Started from somebody that didn't wake up at whatever time now wake up at 4am. Started going to the gym here and there to literally working out pretty much six days a week, if not more than that. Started from being aware to what I eat to literally being able to calculate my stuff and know that I'm walking at 10% body fat quite significantly. But how you go towards that is one step at a time. You can't do everything at the same time. BJ Fogg from uh, Stanford Researches has an ideology or an approach that's called the minimal viable effort. You have to do one thing at a time get that really good and then move on to the next one. And then if you leave it over time, it's going to compound into success. So now I'm at a certain level. You're like, how do I keep it? It only gets easier once you're at a higher level. Really it does. The hardest thing is to start the energy. It's just like taking the analogy of a, of an airplane, mm-hmm. the airplane, when it takes off like a Boeing 370 or whatever the, their, their numbers are at, like it uses almost 50% of the jet fuel just to take off. And then after that, it's just coasting. So if you're right now, somebody that's starting a business, it's going to take a lot of energy in the beginning, but if you do it right, we'll put systems and processes in place after you're almost going to coast. So then you're going to be able to go a bit more, a bit more, a bit more. So it's really a level of your standards. So far in my life, my standards are so high that when that dip comes, which is inevitable, even at a high performer, you're still dipping. Let's say you're at a nine consistently or eight consistently, you're dipping down to a 6.57. You're still doing stuff that let's say 90% of the population, not more than that, will never do. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, how do I increase a bit more? So there's always that little, like little two millimeter shift that you have to do. That's going to get you from extraordinary to outstanding. And it's a two millimeter shift towards in the beginning from bad to good is literally a mile shift. Yeah. So that's the way that I kind of look at it and approach it. Yeah. I think a lot of people try and, uh, you know, eat, swallow the frog or they try and do the whole thing all at once. And um, I, I'll actually tell you from a, a personal experience, and I'm not trying to talk bad about this challenge. I thought it was a great challenge and I recommend it. I actually do the 75 hard challenge. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what was funny about that is I had a hard time and I will actually admit, I don't even know if I'm fully back to all my full habits that I had before the 75 hard challenge. Cause I already had the working out as a habit five, six days a week. I was already reading. I was already like, I remember when I presented it to my wife and we did it together. She's like, you're doing most of this stuff already, yeah. you know, but then doing the 75 hard challenge, what happened to me, man, was afterwards it was right by the holidays traveled saw saw family we went away for like seven ten days bad habits came flooding in yeah and then by january we finished in like november but by january it was like sluggish trying to pick all those things up and i was like i should not have disrupted my process that i had and then like a plane like you had to kind of okay back to now those habits came back faster the reading came back faster the water drinking came back faster and all that but it was such a drastic swing into the 75 hard challenge and the drastic swing on the opposite side i had to slow down that pendulum so i could push it all to the good side again because i was heavy on the indulgences um So yeah, let me speak to that because a lot of people think success is this one huge thing. Oh my God, Ted is on TV. He must've done one thing. He must've gotten noticed. (laughs) No, bro. He went to college, he figured it out. And when he didn't know what he wanted to figure out, he figured out that's what he wanted to do. Put in the time, went from one network to another, grew up in it. And then he was able to become where he's at right now. But that's a process. People don't see that or don't understand that. Success isn't sexy. It's doing the same thing every single day in a consistent manner that's going to compound over time. And over a little while, you're not even going to notice it. And you're going to take a step back. You're like, wow, look at how much I've accomplished. You don't Mm -hmm. notice it. You really don't. That's what success is. So understanding the behaviors of habits and rituals are extremely important. Now, you just uh, alluded to you had a good habit and ritual. Then a bad one replaced it. Habits don't add on, they get replaced. A bad habit gets replaced by a good one and a good habit gets replaced by a bad one. Once you have systems and processes in place in your life, it's impossible for that to happen. Now, what do I mean by that? I have great systems and processes in place toward waking up in the morning at 4 a.m., doing my meditation, eating my food, X, Y, and Z. Now, I have a whole structure of how I go about it and I could kind of break it down if you want. But if you ask me, Chris, do you wake up at 4 a.m. every single day, Monday or Friday? I would say 80% of the time to like 90% of the time, yes. Now, there are times that I don't because I slept late, I didn't have the energy, whatever the case is, it was a more tougher day. Now, I put a system in place that I allow myself not to do a habits for two days in a row, if that comes to place. But if at the third day, I haven't followed the habit, hell or high water, I get back on the train. Because I understand the concept of a habit. I understand that if you start something, it starts with a lot of energy from your prefrontal cortex, which is right behind your forehead. A lot of energy. When you have a new idea, when you have like, oh my God, I'm going to do it. It's taking the prefrontal cortex energy. And that's prime real estate in your brain. As you develop that and you get stronger in doing that habit, and that takes, usually people think it's 21 days, but that's actually a myth. It's anywhere between 18 to 256 days. Mm -hmm. What happens in that process It goes from your prefrontal cortex to your basal ganglia, which is in the middle of your brain. And once it goes there, it becomes like second nature to you, a habit to you. But you can lose that habit, like I said. So for me, I put a buffer of two days. If for whatever reason, I don't need healthy for two days, the third day, I'm back at it. Maybe even starting with a fast. If I didn't push enough at the gym, third day, I'm pushing in the gym. If I didn't read my book for two days in a row, I'm like, yo, what's happening? Third day, we're back at it. Mm -hmm. So because I have those systems and processes, it's almost impossible for you to fail in regards to being that high achieving person. I love that. I'm actually writing down two days max because um, I've been working and practicing on giving myself grace. Um, And I'm so bad at it, man. I'm so bad. 
And the thing is like, I'll skip one day of habits and I'll spend the other day being hard on myself for skipping that day of habits. And by the third day, usually naturally I'm back at it, or there's actually days in my week that are kind of structured. Like when we're recording this podcast, I I know Tuesdays are always going to be a a fill me up day because these fill me up. And even if my morning is dragging, even if I'm having a rough start to the day, I actually look forward to my podcasting, which is is also kind of like you mentioned when you when you felt something you got on stage. That's why I know I'm onto something with with the show that I'm doing because it fills me up. I don't end these episodes and ever feel like, dang, I'm so drained. Yeah. No, so. I have some of those days in my schedule. Wednesdays are another day where we have our weekly accountability call and things like that, where those things in my schedule who that force me to show up and be accountable for others or just be accountable to my processes and systems, like my workout buddy, like, hey, we're hitting it today, right? It's not a question. It's a statement. We're hitting it today. Those are some of those things that keep me accountable. Um, speaking of being accountable, one of my last questions, um, eight coaches, man, eight. Yeah. When did I mention that? Um, I mentioned you, that previously. You, I, I did in the research. <laughs> I, okay. I did research. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I don't feel like I talked about this, but we've spoken so many times, so it's possible. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, say this time? Well, so, I love it. Yeah, I have eight coaches and mentor. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm guessing you want to know the breakdown of it or how it so, kind of it goes. Well, because it mentions that so different aspects of your life, and and I've spoken about kind of especially on the podcast. You know, no man is a template, right? The, we could take some some nuggets and knowledge from one person, another person, and we create our own personal avatar with who we are and the wisdom that we've pulled from others. And there's also some people who are extremely gifted in one aspect of life, but might be struggling in another. So I like the concept with, when, you know, I saw eight coaches in different aspects of life. I know that's not cheap, which is also probably the commitment to your growth. But yeah, yeah I speak a little bit on that and, and the mindset behind having those eight coaches, because I know some of our listeners and watchers are like, man, I'm still trying to figure out one, let alone yeah. eight. <laughs> yeah. So, OK. Yeah. Talk about the pricing aspect of it. You guys don't even want to know how much I pay in coaching, but <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's crazy numbers. But I kid you not, it pays back tenfold, especially over time. Now, here's the reason why. Honestly, I wasn't supposed to be a coach, really. I'm a student of the craft. I truly love it, okay? There, there's a, a saying, I don't know if it's in French, it's called an email chaussée, which means a shoemaker that doesn't have nice shoes on. Mm. So it doesn't make sense, right? You make shoes, but you're walking around with shitty shoes. And that's not who I am. I truly believe in the craft. So I'm a coach because over time, I noticed so many people came to me because I've gained that knowledge. And they're like, Chris, how to do this, how to do that. And then after giving them advices here and there, I'm like, the only way I'm going to help these people, if I put them in a coaching structure, speak to them in bi-weekly or weekly and have the plan and so on to, for, for that growth. Now, why I'm saying this? Because like I said, for me, that first speech that I ever did, I'd hired my first ever coach in 2017. It was two weeks before that speech that we alluded to uh, in the beginning of the call. His name is Trevor McGregor. He's my head coach. Kind of like in a football structure, he's my head coach. Mm-hmm. And after he saw that speech, he's the one that told me, he's like, Chris, you hired me to make you an even better broker. But he's like, that's not what you're meant to be. He's like, you're meant to be one of the best speakers in this world. I'm like, what are you talking about, Trevor? Can I even make a career of this? He's like, yeah, not only are you going to make one, he's like, you're going to be one of the greatest one of our modern time. So that analogy, that different perspective you needed in life. Now, Trevor McGregor is my head coach. He pretty much touched upon everything. Then I have my spiritual coach because it's spirituality, something I want to develop. I want to be better with my controlling of emotion, so on and so forth. 
Then I have my storytelling coach. Like I said, I'm a speaker. A lot of it is through story. So how to convey a story, how to go about it. I have my business coach. Uh, I have my dietitian. I have my workout coach. Uh, I have my podcast uh, coach on how to go about that. So what I do, just kind of like you alluded, I take the best out of everything or everybody that I need and utilize every single moment of those. Now, the way I go about it, like I said, in regards to American football, you have your head coach, you have your offensive coordinator, you have your quarterback coach, you have your defensive coach, you have your special teams. That's the way I look at it. So I have my one or two that I consistently keep. And then I have other ones that when I need, I'm like, all right, cool. Let me go. Let me go get them on a little program and just go uh, uh, ask this from them and so on and so forth. And then I have mentors sprinkled on that, which the difference between coach and mentor is coach. It's an actual transactional uh, approach and you have them X amount of time towards mentors or your peers that are maybe a chapter ahead of you, two chapters ahead of you in life or in business. And you go ask questions to them. It's always useful, but not uh, the same level of growth than having somebody structured there that's ahead of you. So that's the reason why I do it. I invest heavily in it. And that has literally, I kid you not, increased my business and my career tenfold. Mm -hmm. I'm already speaking on stages with Malala Yousafzai, the youngest Nobel Prize Peace winner. I'm already like spoke to the president of Pfizer Canada the, the other day, spoke to their company. Like I'm already there. And I started officially doing this full time in 2019. And in between that, we had a pandemic. Like for two years, I was doing like speeches on Zoom, which is not the same thing, guys. Yeah, like, It's great that we had that, but not the same uh, experience in regards to growth of your business. So I'm already there. And the only reason I truly believe that is because I have a speaking coach. They tell me what the structure is. I have a storytelling coach. I have a business coach. I have a coach to structure my, my coaching site. So I wasn't going into that blind. I knew how to structure the contract. I knew how to price myself. I knew how to communicate and convey my information at a high level. Now, yeah. granted, I could have potentially done that by myself, but maybe it would have took me five extra years, 10 extra years. I'm like, why do I have, why do I need to do that? So instead of buying maybe a Ferrari, I'm like, let me invest it in myself. And that was actually the decision. I love it. I love it, man. And crushing it, continue to grow and get on more and more stages. Anybody who's been at the Modern Man Conference, they know that our virtual conferences, though we put everything into those and we provide the interviews and the discussions, they're not as impactful as being in person, which is why I can't wait to be in person again with all the listeners, the watchers, and all those who follow the Modern Man. And for those that follow us, Chris, I want to make sure that they're able to follow you, get tapped into the amazing work that you're doing, your socials. Also, if they're maybe in need of coaching for their own high performance, maybe someone's listening and they're like, oh, my business is on the cusp of making it and or I'm scaling up my business and I'm kind of getting into a season where the car of the business, the scaling is going a little bit too fast. I can feel these tires starting to lose grip. I need someone to help me take this under control. How can folks follow you, connect with you and uh, get your links? Okay. First of all, uh, Ted, I truly appreciate that. Love this conversation. And thank you for giving me the stage right here. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to offer to you and your audience. I'm going to offer a free 30 minute coaching call with me. Now, let me be specific here. Okay. I am not looking for tire kickers. I work with high level individuals. So I want people that are interested and ready to commit in regards to coming to that call. They have a problem. They want to work at it with me. And we're going to go to that next level. And then through that process, you realize, oh my God, yeah, Chris has some major added value. And I see what he was talking about. And I could go to the next level if you're interested. And if there is a fit, and if I could uh, offer you a position within my executive coaching or uh, my uh, academy, it will be my pleasure. So 100%, I'm offering a free 30-minute uh, consultation in regard to specific coaching uh, 
that you guys need in that regard, it'll be my pleasure. And if you guys want to go follow me on socials, I'm at Chris for data and everywhere, uh, mostly on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. Actually, we have all, all of them. I mean, you know, TikTok yeah. and all that fun <laughs> stuff. We have our, our team behind it. But yeah, the one that I utilize the most, me personally, is Instagram and LinkedIn uh, and YouTube. So those are the three. So if you want to go follow me, see a bit more of who I am and you're interested, just say you come from uh, Ted's community and it'll be my pleasure to offer you that 30 minute free coaching and just help you guys out and break through that maybe barrier that you had and really have that different perspective that you need potentially to go to that next level. I love it, brother. And I'll have those links in the show notes to make it easy for people just to open up the app or open up the comments and uh, scroll down to the description and go right to those uh, those those destinations. Last question. This is the heavy one that I always say for the end, um, but I, I always get some genuine answers from this. So I, I don't mind if you need a couple seconds to think about it. I'll let the dead air kind of kind of hold because the pause for the effect, but uh, what's something, and I know we touched on the dyslexia and it's okay if that's the answer, but what is something that maybe has happened to you in life or something that you've seen that kind of plays into the way you view the world as a man? Dyslexia is definitely there, but I'm going to give you a different answer. Maybe this is going to be a whole other podcast, <laughs> but the relationship between a father and son and how we attach that desire to make them proud. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, how we have to detach from that to really be able to make them proud at a high level. Now, maybe I'm talking in parentheses or in code. I don't know if that's clear. I could go a bit more in detail Please. here. Yeah. But so essentially, I what I've seen, like I said, I'm blessed enough to coach some top tier people. And I've seen especially a lot of male customers that I have and clients that I have have that same relationship with their father. And especially if you come from a father that has maybe, you know, a different background, let's call it immigrant, let's call it whatever the case is, let's call it even a couple of decades different from you. They come from different understanding, different beliefs, different place. My father, love him, love him, love him to death. He's Armenian, born in Armenia. Back in the day, Armenia was a part of the URSS, so it's communist time. And he's 39 years older than me. So we have four decades of difference and he comes from a different culture. I'm born in Canada, North America, pretty much given everything. And our whole purpose in certain regards is to make him truly, truly, truly happy. But then once you start going against the grain, because back then for them, they were taught, go to school, get a degree, your life is set. Our reality in 2022 and way before that, that is not the like the key to success anymore. Sorry, guys, it really isn't. Now, granted, there's certain careers that you need it. Like if you want to be a doctor, you need to go to school. That's great. You want to be a cop, you need to go to school. That's great. But understanding that sometimes you have to trust your inner voice and do what's really your purpose and not live your life through somebody else. Trust if you do it at such a high level, you will shine so brightly. Your light within you will shine so brightly that nobody could repress that. And if anything, they'll come and respect that. And that's exactly what happened in, with my father. Because in the beginning, when I went to entrepreneurial the route, he supported me. Like he was always there, but he never was a moral support, right? And now doing what I do, he comes out and he's like, yo, how the hell are you doing this? How come you're going on these TV shows? How come you're there? How come you're here? And it's because I was true to myself. So all this being self as a man, be true to yourself. Don't listen to outside voices towards your spouse, family member, and so on. Just be true to yourself. I love that, brother. I love that. Appreciate that answer. I could tell it was definitely genuine. And a lot of us seek the approval of our fathers. And 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 we've, talk, we've spoken about it on the podcast before, as in, 
a lot of times when it comes to that handing off of masculinity or that validation of masculinity, we look for our fathers to give it to us. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a situation where it's not going to come through your father, there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in ourselves in order to look at ourselves in the mirror and give ourselves that validation. Brother, this was amazing. I know we can go on and on, but uh, that, that's our time. And and I just want to thank you for your experience, your wisdom, and taking the time to share it with us today, man. Ted, brother, it was such a pleasure. We'll definitely redo this again. And uh, awesome job with all of your successes as well, man. Keep it up. You're definitely helping a lot of people. Appreciate that. And, and speaking of helping people, I want to recap some of the gems you left along the way as I do at the end, because I know we cover so many topics and for a lot of people that are cleaning, driving, or maybe doing something else while listening, we appreciate the listen. And don't worry, I had the pen and paper ready. So I wrote it all down for you early on. I wasn't alone. So many of us think of our problems as our own. If you're listening and you're going through a divorce, or maybe you just got diagnosed with dyslexia, ADHD, or whatever it may be, it's easy to think, okay, the world is looking at you and the world is looking down on you, but you are not alone in that struggle. You're not alone in that challenge. And there are, there are communities that are willing to help and support. And how do you learn? After Christopher found his community, he found the way to learn. And a lot of us need to kind of have that thought process. And maybe you're maybe you're not stupid. And I say that because if a fish judged its ability to climb a tree, it would spend its life thinking that it was stupid. But you put a fish in water and its genius shows. Maybe you just haven't found your genius yet. And that will come through learning how you learn. No choice. As kids, We were probably relentless. We were adaptable. We were smart. We knew how to keep moving forward. We lose it somewhere along the way as we grow up because we want to be realistic or we we kind of might hide what we really want in our dreams because of fear of what the world might think of us. But as much as a kid falls down, they always get back up. If you're trying something in business, if you're trying to be successful, no matter how many times you fall down, get back up. I felt something. A lot of us, we know what makes us feel alive. We know when our hearts skip the beat. We know that situation that really pulled us, but we've ignored it since, probably because it scared us. And maybe if we use that fear like a compass, like Christopher, we can maybe find our way to what our purpose is and really what helps us grow. And of course, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. Start with the one thing, add on those habits slowly, stack those habits onto each other. Chris kind of mentioned it about from the prefrontal cortex to locking it in, think fast, think slow, great book. And of course, locking in those habits because success is not sexy. It's something that will happen before you know it and you might not even notice it in the process. It just takes a different perspective and being true to yourself. Guys, thank you so much for making it to the end. Christopher, thank you for the the love and of of course, everything you've given us to, to us today. We truly appreciate it, man. Thank you, Ted. Great recap, by the way. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys making it to the end. As always, I'm going to ask that you share this with a friend that you know can get value from it. Hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode each and every single week and leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing because the only way we improve is by you letting us know what we can improve on. With that being said, as we always should say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. 